Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today's date is February 12th, 2023, as hard as that is to believe. Our sermon is titled this morning, Rising Tension. We want to say before we begin that we are delighted once again to be gathered all together as a family, worshiping in the spirit and in truth. Today we intend to continue the marching orders that we've received from our Heavenly Father, namely the Balkan Bow, and our unified and marshaled efforts as a body and a one association to see that bow bent back and fired toward the Middle East, leading to Jerusalem. Your brothers in the Arising Church are currently studying the lives of mighty men of God like George Mueller, C.T. Studd, Hudson Taylor, Stanley Albert Dale, and John G. Payton. That house is cultivating scores of men with the heart, training, and determination, and they will reach the nations. Yes, they will. We'll do it together. Your brothers at King's Harvest Church are currently diving deeply into the Jeremiah studies, and they are personally taking their stand while knowing that judgment from God is imminent on this world system. They have deep convictions, and they will not fail to deliver the precise word that Adonai gives them no matter what the consequences are. Not only is the Lord moving here in the United States, I had an opportunity to speak with Anand Israel from India just two days ago. Anand in the churches of Love and Care Ministries, LCM, are laser-focused on building into their people a heart for evangelism based on their discipleship of sons, both the natural kind and spiritual sons. What they are building there in Chennai and across the southern part of India looks exactly like what we have in the One Association. Come on. Saints, we are in a time of ever-growing partnership between the churches. Can you see that? Yes. We are even seeing teams forming between churches. Diacrino is truly falling in our midst and in our days. We are forming the one and only true indivisible nation under God. That being the Israeli kingdom of God. One made up of the original chosen people, bless some Gentile graftins like us from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And man, are we working on it in this room. Today, we will go on a scriptural journey that will bring you into new found understanding of familiar and heavily preached on passages. Can somebody say you're going to learn something new? You're going to learn something new today in areas you didn't think you could learn something new. But more importantly, today we'll bring you into newfound action as we collectively bend back the bow that God has given us. We'd like to begin with you in Psalm 78 as Asaph, a prophetic Levite and songwriter, reflects on the Torah and Israel's history. As you are turning to Psalm 78 with us in your actual Bible that is on your lap and in your hands, say rising tension. Rising tension. Psalm 78, we're going to begin in verse 1. Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children or their descendants, as the 2011 NIV says. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob, 
and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they, in turn, would tell their children. See, Asaph was appointed by David, and he was paired with commanders of the army because Asaph was intimately familiar with the Torah as a Levite, and he possessed prophetic insight Due to his relationship with the Lord. Come on. Yeah, I know it's early in the sermon, but you do realize that's what increases your prophetic insight, right? Is the Torah and your relationship to the Lord. Asaph begins by quoting many of the same words as Deuteronomy chapter 32 and chapter 4. So we have a slide for you today, and it is one of many that you're going to see. We have a larger volume of information than should be, tried or should be attempted in a single service. That's true. Psalm 78, though, begins by quoting Deuteronomy 32. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth. My teaching drop as the rain. Verse 7 says, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you. Your elders, and they will tell you. Asaph begins in his writing, which is during David's day, by the way. This is during the Davidic kingdom. By reminding them of Moses' words and how these teachings should drop down into us like rain, water, and grass. Then Deuteronomy 4 is what is quoted next. You should recognize this. He says, keep your soul diligently. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Gather the people to me so that they may teach their children so. Asaph is authoring something that is both original and is built upon a foundation of the law. And he's doing it with prophetic insight. What is even more astounding than what he has quoted in Deuteronomy is what he says in verse 7 of Psalm 78. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. Asaph is a spiritual leader in the Davidic government. He understood the application of Moses' words. And he understood how critical it was in setting up a kingdom that would last for generations. Verse 7 says, Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but keep his commands. I.e., if they did what Deuteronomy 32 and Deuteronomy 4 said, then they would have their trust in God. See, Asaph is responsible for building a kingdom with David that will never pass away. One that can continue for generations. One that will go on beyond his time. And he points to the same revelation that we receive from Deuteronomy 4 and says, If we will do that, then our trust will be in the Lord and it will continue. This time period of the Davidic kingdom produced many anointed authors. And authors that wrote things like Psalms, Proverbs, and other works. But what you need to understand when we're discussing this is that the Davidic kingdom in many ways is a shadow in type or a prototype of the fullness of the kingdom of God that is to come. They show us what the next kingdom will look like, the one that is coming upon the earth. They had a vision for the same passages that we have recently reviewed together. And it informed their practice as they prepared for the arrows that would come after their day and their time. Do you see what verse says? What verse 7 says on your screen? Then they would put their trust in God. 
See, this process of us walking rightly in the kingdom that's been established is always for the they that are coming after us, the them that are coming later on so that these generations continue on in ever-increasing fashion. See, in many ways, not only was the kingdom of David a prototype for the kingdom to come, but also David himself and even his men were a prototype for what would follow in the years ahead. We're currently in a time frame of daily advancing a kingdom that will come upon the earth with an anointed ruler descended from David on the throne. See, and while you're considering that prototype, that both we have a kingdom that is here but is not yet here is what we studied on Tuesday. That we are walking in a kingdom, but there is a physical manifestation with a son of David sitting on the throne that we are working towards. As you are thinking about that, 1 Chronicles 12 helps us to understand this imagery of a prototype. 1 Chronicles 12 and verse 21. It says this. They helped David against raiding bands. For all of them were brave warriors. Come on, now that should have gotten some type of response from this kind of group. All of them were brave warriors. And they were commanders in his army. Day after day, men came to help David until he had a great army, like the army of God. See, scores of sermons have been preached off of these two verses alone because of the moving and enigmatic nature. It is certainly powerful imagery to consider an army that is gathered on earth yet resembles the army of God. You could say it's certain AF. Certainly a force to be reckoned with. Beyond the obvious in the well-trodden ways that this passage has moved many to want to be active in their Christian faith, we would like to spend our time considering the way that David, his brave warriors, and the kingdom that they set up was a precursor for things to come on an eschatological level, as well as a prophetic foreshadowing for our body and the entire one association, even as it relates. Long before David's kingdom reached its uh, heyday, there was a lot of work that had to be done. There were brave men who were few in number, but one in purpose to the end of accomplishing the Lord's will in the life of David and the kingdom of Israel. We're going to review a uh, character sketch. We're going to be looking at two figures in the word, as well as two as some notable highlights of the two most influential men in relationship with David. Today, we're going to get a character sketch of Ittai and Jonathan. So as you're all staring at this slide, I want to remind you, we just talked to you about the things the Davidic kingdom produced. It produced Psalms, it produced the Proverbs, it produced Ecclesiastes, it produced men like Asaph, who were Levites who knew the word and could prophesy about the future. The Davidic kingdom is a shadow and type of the kingdom of God that will come on the earth. Except instead of just David sitting on the throne, it will be the son of David. Now, as amazing as that is, there's some time in between where we are right now and the kingdom to come. Well, in David's life, when he first had the promise of God to the time he was sitting on the throne wasn't instantaneous. There were men who had a relationship with him, who had to help him build that kingdom, advance that kingdom. So while we're looking at these two men, we want to build a little background for their relationship with David. Ittai. His background is hostile to David in every way. 2 Samuel 15 verse 18 says, All his men marched past him along with all the Carathites and Pelathites. 
and all the 600 Gittites who had accompanied him from Gath marched before the king. Ittai is actually from the region that is in opposition to Israel. Ittai is a Philistine and an ancient enemy of national Israel. Ittai is from the exact same town as a man named, or a thing named Goliath, an ancient enemy of David. Ittai's geopolitical background indicates that he should be a strict enemy of David. However, he is a friend in close relationship with David. Isn't that already instructive about Ittai when you think about his background? Well, let's think about the background of Jonathan. The background of Jonathan was also hostile to David. In 1 Samuel 20, and beginning in verse 30, you can see that it says that Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. One of the things that Saul said was, you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame. It goes on to say, as long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for David must die. Can somebody say that's a hostile background towards David? See, Jonathan's tribe is actually in competition with David. Jonathan's father has jealous hatred towards David and wants to kill him. And Jonathan's entire succession to the throne is opposed by the very existence of David and God's promise to David. However, somebody say however. However. However, Jonathan is a friend in close relationship with David. Do you understand what he risked to have that friendship? You beginning to see a parallel between these two men? Ittai had every reason to not only dislike David, but to hate him. David was the one who slew Ittai's national hero, Goliath. And when you think about it, you think about a story that you tell your children. You have to remember Goliath was the one who was giving the Philistines victories. Goliath was the one who made them a nation on the map and kept them from being destroyed. To them, they grew up looking up to him like an action hero, like the one who saved the land of the Philistines. David cut his head off. In fact, there are songs written about David specifically, detailing how many of Ittai's kinsmen he has killed. Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands of Ittai's family. However, at risk to his relationship with his family, at risk to his place in his nation, at risk of crossing ethnic, national, and religious boundaries, Ittai recognized that there was something special about David that he wanted to be close to. We have another slide. Before we get to the other side, let's look at Jonathan a little bit more. I don't want to leave Jonathan just yet. Do you realize that Jonathan had every reason to be opposed to or be jealous of David? Every single reason. As a matter of fact, because Jonathan was the firstborn son of a king. What did that mean that Jonathan was destined to become? Jonathan was a great warrior in his own right, but all the attention has now shifted to David. I mean, David's victories. No one is singing about Jonathan's victories. No one's singing about the very song that Pastor Judah just mentioned. However, somebody say however. However. At risk to his relationship with his own family. Come on. You see it on the slide. His father is angry with him. It's to your shame. It's to the shame of the mother who bore you. Shame on you, son. I can't believe who you're siding with. 
Everybody's heard that before in this Nobody room. has ever heard that in this kind of a church. At risk to his relationship with his family, at risk to him sitting on a throne, at risk of crossing ethnic tribal boundaries. He's in the tribe of Benjamin. David is in the tribe of Judah. Jonathan recognizes that there's something special about David that he really wanted to be close to. Come on now. We're setting up this idea and we're understanding these two men in a much deeper perspective. Let's go on to the next slide. It's in our relationship with David that Ittai and Jonathan both had. You're going to notice that our first bullet says they experienced supernatural victory with David. See, 1 Samuel 30 verse 19 says nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. We're going to explain this more, but you should know that the area that Ittai is from was raided by the Amalekites while David was residing in that region. Ittai's family and brothers were subjected to the same plundering as David. But Ittai saw God work through David to restore everything and everyone that was lost. We're going to help you to realize how special what Pastor Judah just said in a minute. And I can, we can tell that you haven't quite gotten what he's uh, laying out, but we're going to make sure okay. that you get that. We're, we're going to help you. But before we do that, let's talk about Jonathan. Jonathan experienced supernatural victory with David. 1 Samuel 19 and verse 4. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. And you already know what a difficult place that put Jonathan in. What, part of what Jonathan said was he took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel. And you saw it and you were glad. This is Jonathan speaking to Saul about David. We've both seen it. You know how I know that you saw it, Dad? Because I was there watching it along with you. And you were happy. And you were very excited that he defeated Goliath. Jonathan and all Israel were subject to oppression at the hands of an unnatural, satanic creation named Goliath. Until the Lord brought victory through David. Jonathan saw the hand of the Lord on David as he continued to fight Israel's battles in the service of his father, Saul. Come on. Jonathan is not hearing about these things. He's on the battlefield with David and watching the supernatural victories that are occurring. Jonathan saw God work through David to bring deliverance to all of the people of Israel. Jonathan not only witnessed the supernatural victories through David, he personally experienced the deliverance. Do you hear in that passage that he went so far as to advocate for David? Reminding his father that the hand of God was upon David? Jonathan experienced the supernatural testimony of how the God of Israel worked victories through his chosen instrument, David. It's not so surprising that Jonathan stood up for David when you realize David was used to save the entire nation of Israel. Is it surprising to you? If he is the one who delivered you from the adversary no one else could defeat, who stood up when everybody shrunk back, but Jonathan recognizes God has elected this man. There's something that's special what, that happens when you're experiencing supernatural victories with people. Jonathan is committed to David. Let's think about Ittai in this process. Ittai not only witnessed supernatural victories through David, he personally experienced the deliverance of his entire family. Now this is Something that's going to be new, and many of you may not be aware of the history of Ittai and David's relationship. Okay, y'all ready to learn something here? I promise you, 
This is going to be something that everyone in the room is going to learn something from. 2 Samuel 15 lets us know that Ittai came with David from Gath. This means that Ittai and David were in Gath together during David's exile. The first time that you see the name Ittai mentioned is in 2 Samuel 15, but that's not when Ittai appears on the scene. Ittai is with David all the way back in 1 Samuel 28, 29, 30 in this time period because it was during David's exile. During that same time frame, immediately preceding David's exodus from Gath to Hebron is the story of the Amalekite raid on David and the families of the men who were with him, including Ittai. This is the story in 1 Samuel 30 when David's two wives are taken and he goes back and he gets everything brought back because of David's victories here. So it is likely that Ittai's family was rescued along with David's family by the heroic acts it detailed in 1 Samuel 30. Now that's new information. Ittai was there in that story that you like so much about 1 Samuel 30. This was a supernatural testimony of how the God of Israel worked victories through David. So it's not surprising if your family had been taken from you everything you own, stolen. And David, the king of it, he comes in and he helps you and returns every cent of what was taken, every person in your household. Is it then therefore easy to understand that it's not surprising that Ittai left Gath with David because David had just saved the entirety of Ittai's family? What you should be realizing is that both men saw God's salvation through David. Different circumstances, different reasons, but their early experiences with David were all formed around desperate need, deliverance, and salvation being brought through one man, David. Our next slide continues the relationship with David. As a result of what they saw in supernatural victories, Ittai protected David. You can see 2 Samuel 18.2 on the screen. David sent out his troops, a third under Ittai the Gittite. The king told the troops, I myself will surely march out with you. Because that's David's heart. He wants to be with the men. He wants to be on the front line. But Ittai and the other men with him said, you must not go out. It would be better now for you to give us support from the city where he's protected. See, Ittai endangered himself to protect David because of the relationship that they had. No, let me go in the front line. You're the king of Israel. You stay in the fortified position and I'll come get you when they're all dead. Ittai rose up in his function as a commander to perform the purpose David needed him to. This is the first time you ever see him commanding not just his own men, but Israel's armies. Ittai was convinced of David's value even above his own life. Let's consider Jonathan. Jonathan also protected David. In 1 Samuel 19 in verse 6, it says, Saul listened to Jonathan, <laughs> praise the Lord, and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death as, Saul is, as uh, Jonathan is advocating to Saul on David's behalf. And then again in chapter 20 and verse 32 of 1 Samuel, why should he be put to death what has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. The him in this verse 
is Saul is now throwing spears at Jonathan. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Well, thanks for the revelation there, Jonathan. You know, I've heard, David, of you talking about my father throwing spears at you. But since he just threw a spear at me, but Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. In case you missed that part. Just in case you weren't certain. He wasn't throwing out the spear at him to encourage him. Not a warning shot. Not a warning shot. He was trying to pin him to the wall. Then, Saul, then Jonathan was like, I think he's trying to kill David. Yes. Eureka, I found it out. See, do you understand what this means? That Jonathan is endangering his own life to protect David. It's not just with his words. He is literally endangering his own life. Jonathan rose up in his authority as a prince to advocate, to stand before his father, the king, and advocate on David's behalf. Jonathan was convinced of David's value, and he lived and showed it. Due to rising prices and ammunition, there were no warning shots offered that day. <laughs> you know what did happen that day? Jonathan showed real evidence of sacrificial action on behalf of David, going so far as to put his own life on the line as Saul tried to kill him. This comes when a man can see beyond his circumstances and into the future of what God wants to accomplish, and he knew it was through David. See, Ittai also showed real evidence of sacrificial action on behalf of David, going as far as to put himself on the front line where the battle is to make sure that David was protected back in the citadel. These are men who are demonstrating and actually showing a protection of David because of their relationship with him. Are y'all ready to continue this relationship with David? So our next slide is Ittai and Jonathan again. You can see here Ittai was in a covenant with David. 2 Samuel 15, 21 illustrates this. But Ittai replied to the king, As surely as the Lord lives, and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there will your servant be. See, Ittai could see supernatural deliverance in David. He knew that there was salvation through him. Ittai had personally protected David. Ittai, despite his national background and every reason that told him not to, made a covenant with David unto life or death. Take a look at Jonathan. Now, Jonathan also made a covenant with David. We could have actually pulled this from several times over Jonathan's story about he made covenants with David. But look at 1 Samuel 23, 17. It says, don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. And even my father Saul knows this. See, Jonathan could see supernatural deliverance in David. He had experienced it. Jonathan had personally put his life on the line to protect David. And Jonathan, despite his father Saul, made a covenant with David, even pledging to become a Mishneh. Do you guys remember that word, Mishneh, when it says, I will be second to you? He's not saying I'll just be second in command. He's saying I'm going to be like an exact copy of you. I will be an exact duplicate of who you are. And that's exactly what Jonathan is pledging and describing here in this covenant. So at this point, we want to review just a moment to help connect some dots. 
We began in Psalm 78, which quoted Deuteronomy 32 and Deuteronomy 4. Same passages you have been learning. Psalm 78 was written by Asaph, a Levite who knew the word of God and had special prophetic insight, whom David appointed. That is what produced the further revelation about how to continue through the generations. What is happening in the days prior to the full kingdom is men are advancing what will be before they've seen that kingdom realized. Ittai, Jonathan, they're in relationship with a king who is not recognized by the rest of the earth. David in every way is a prototype of our relationship to Messiah currently. He is the son of David. The Davidic kingdom itself is a prototype of the Israeli kingdom that will come upon the earth at Jesus' second coming. The men surrounding David were likened unto the very army of God. Before all of this was realized, and the Davidic king had arrived, bringing the reward and recompense, when everything was established and made right, we have two fine examples of men, Ittai and Jonathan, who were in covenant with David, who protected David, who could see that there was supernatural deliverance and salvation for all Israel through David before the rest of the world recognized it. They knew he was Lord. Before we move on with this comparison of Ittai and Jonathan, we want you to understand that what Pastor Judah has done here, what's been going on through these slides, is we've summarized about 25 chapters of the Bible for you. What I'm trying to get you to see is that there's an importance here with Ittai and Jonathan. It covers a large part of David's story as he is coming into kingship. Ittai and Jonathan are a shadow and type of men like us. Somebody say like us. Like us. See, the reason that we're studying Ittai and Jonathan is because we are seeing the exact parallels to the men in this room. We see in Ittai and Jonathan something that we need to grasp as a church. They are like us types of men who live in the time in between the full manifestation of the kingdom to come, but we're still living in daily trials that actually exist. See, we're able to look back on these men and see the entirety of their life. We're walking as men in the kingdom now, but bringing the kingdom that is yet to come here on this earth. And we've been graciously given the opportunity to be in covenant with the son of David, to recognize his salvation, to fight for his will to be done on this earth. On. See, there's yet another aspect of Ittai and Jonathan that we need to see before we're able to complete the entirety of this picture. Do you want the last aspect? Yeah. No, show me some more enthusiasm, because we can go. I mean, I, look, I have an entire Acts class to put together with some brothers later today. I have an appointment to get to. Do you want to see the last aspect? Yes. Sound booth, let's throw him the slide. So Ittai, Ittai verbally committed to a covenant with David. Ittai supported David in many, many ways. Ittai left everything, including his home, his national boundaries, to take his stand with David. You can see this in 2 Samuel 15, 21. Again, wherever my Lord, the king may be, whether it means life or death, there will your servant be. David said to Ittai, go ahead, march on. So Ittai the Gittite marched on. See, he followed up on the promise that he made, the words that he stated, and not just him, with all his men 
or in some translations, brothers, and the families or little ones that were with him. Take a look at Jonathan. Jonathan verbally committed to a covenant with David, and he actually did it multiple times. Jonathan supported David in many ways. But Jonathan went home to his father instead of staying with David. Look at the passage that's highlighted on your screen. 1 Samuel 23, 17. Knowing that David would be king over Israel, I will be a Mishnah. I'm going to be just like you, David. I'm going to be an exact copy. Even my father, Saul, knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home. But David remained at Horish. Both of these men lived extraordinary lives. Their lives were filled with bold moments of faith. Both of these men had a relationship with David and Adonai. Jonathan's trips to help David find strength in God have informed brothers for thousands of years now. Jonathan's supernatural faith, along with an armor bearer, to climb Sina and Bozus, believing that nothing would hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Well, frankly, it's inspired generations of bold Christians who want to see the world affected for Jesus Christ. Jonathan's words about wanting to be a Mishnah or an exact copy of the godly characteristics seen in his brother David. Well, they've instructed this house. Moreover, they've instructed the teams of the One Association. However, Jonathan's words did not match where he put his feet as tensions rose in the story of David. The time for David's launch into king is close at hand. The timing is drawing near. But unlike Ittai, Jonathan goes back to his home with his father, where his possessions are, where the rest of his family is, where life is just a little bit more comfortable than being out in the desert of Horeb with David. Can you appreciate the reality of what we're looking at right here? More than just thinking about the Christian world at large, who says many things, but their feet are far from the place that they say that their faith is. That's easy. That's the low-hanging fruit of those and them and somewhere else out there. We are bringing this message to you today to talk about the rising tensions that are in this house. To make sure that your feet are actually planted, that you are standing exactly where God has told you. Not just with your mouth, but with your feet standing in that very place that God has instructed you. See, there's even a story in the Newer Testament about a literal man that's in the first century. But you may be shocked to hear in the story parallels to the life of Jonathan. Given the great affection that we and many have for Jonathan. I mean, it wasn't until last Sunday that if you would have asked anybody in this room, Jonathan would have been one of your most favorite and loyal characters that you could express. We've, also, we've often had great affection towards him. Many people have. But it's not a subject that we've ever heard preached on, this connection between this man and the Newer Testament. The striking resemblance, however, is absolutely inescapable. Take a look at this slide. The rich young ruler. Let's read it together. It's on the slide for you. Luke 18, beginning in verse 18 in the ESV. And a ruler 
The word for ruler here in the Greek is an archon, a prince. Asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. You've done a lot of good things, Mr. Ruler, but you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And, somebody say, and. Come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. We're going to help you interact with this. The rich young ruler or the rich young prince had many things correct. To start with, he admired the son of David, Jesus. He understood that he was indeed the good teacher. He had kept the commands from boyhood until his present day. Many of you think that when he says, I've kept these from my youth, that it's not correct. That's because you fail to exegete the text correctly. He's a believing Jew who's looking for Messiah. He's been taught the Torah from the day that he was born. And Jesus doesn't say he hasn't kept the commands. He agrees with him and says, one thing you still lack. This rich young prince recognized that this son of David had a unique anointing on him and he wanted to know how to be saved, how to inherit eternal life. This is because he recognized that salvation and deliverance did come through the son of David. His verbal profession and most of his actions are in all of the right places. However, there was one thing he lacked to get rid of all he possessed as a ruler or a prince of standing and go follow the son of David wherever he went. We have another slide that we're going to show you. But before we do, I'd like to remind you that two men, Ittai and Jonathan, well, they're precursors of the age to come. They're an example of two types of men who really are in relationship with the son of David in our day and in this room. So while you're thinking about that, these men are championing the son of David now before he's taken his throne on the earth. Jesus is not the king in Jerusalem by all worldly measures, but the rich young ruler still knows he's special and says so anyway. Look at this slide. Let us help you draw the parallels between Jonathan and the rich young ruler. Jonathan is comparatively young, obviously compared to Saul and the leaders that are around him. In Matthew 19, it gives the clear understanding that this is a rich, young ruler. When you piece together the different accounts, one says he's a ruler, one says he's young. One says he's rich. That lets you know that he's a rich, young ruler. Jonathan was a prince. Obviously, the son of a king. Luke 18, 18, that Greek word for ruler is archon that we've already mentioned to you. Jonathan was wealthy as the son of the king. 
Can you envision that as a, as, a, as a prince living in the king's palace? But he was far from impoverished. And obviously, we've already established that this young man that we're talking about in the Newer Testament is, as the ESV says, extremely rich. Jonathan journeyed to be with and learn from David. One of the translations even says that this man uh, ran to fall at the feet of Jesus. He journeyed to be there with him. Jonathan verbally affirmed David had wanted to be like him because he knew him to be good, the exact situation that we find in our story in Luke. Jonathan believed the word of the Lord and went to battle in faith, just as it was in this person who says he kept the commands since he was a boy. But one thing they both lacked. Somebody say one thing. One thing. The one thing that they lacked was the willingness to get rid of all that they possessed as a ruler or a prince and follow the son of David wherever he went. The parallels between these men really could go on and on. But instead, I'd like to illuminate the ones that are already on the slide. You can see in the text that Jonathan is young, but he also carries a great deal of authority. Jonathan is literally a prince in the land of Israel. As the son of a king, he would never experience lack in any area, but instead would be the most well-fed in all Israel, the best equipped. There is literally no one else who would be more secure in the entire land of Israel than the king's firstborn son. Or in other words, extremely rich, as the ESV says. 1 Samuel 13 actually says that out of all of the men who have assembled to fight for Israel, there are only two men who were well-equipped enough to get a sword, Saul and Jonathan. You question the wealth of Jonathan, all you have to do is look at the passage a little bit. While everybody else is fighting with pruning hooks, with plowshares, he shows up and has the tank of his day. He has the appropriate weaponry. We told you that Jonathan journeyed to meet David. You've seen that in the text. That's the whole Mishnah discussion. He runs to David and says, I want to be like you. I want to be a copy of you. As Pastor mentioned earlier, Mark 10, 17 actually says that the rich young ruler not only walked, not only came to Jesus, but he ran to go meet Jesus. Just like Jonathan, he put serious effort in to gaining temporary proximity with David. For the rich young ruler to call Jesus good was not just to say that he was a nice person like it is in English, but instead that he was and had all that was good. As in the one who knows the way to eternal life, the one who God's salvation will come through. These verbal affirmations from both Jonathan and the rich young ruler, well, they're based out of a sincere desire and a recognition of where God's hand currently is. However, both of them, somebody say both of them, both of them, when faced with the rising tension of being made into what the son of David is, they sadly went away to doing whatever they were before back at their own home. Church, we have walked through this point in the last 43 minutes to make sure that you are understanding, especially our next amount of time together. Let's examine how Ittai got this right in the greatest moment of tension in his life. 
Don't you want to know how to get something right when it really counts? Don't you want to know how to perform exactly what God is saying in the most difficult moment? Before we go to that passage, to emphasize what Pastor is saying about Ittai getting it right, am I the only one in the room that sees the life of Jonathan, a man who is supernaturally delivered, who climbs mountains and wants to fight, believes God will do something, whether by many or by few, who is in covenant with David and is frightened in my soul when I realize that he failed to meet the mark and his life goes down in misery. He dies with sinful soul. See, the Lord in his wisdom gave us two examples in the word, and we're going to dig into both of them. But let's be clear. Pastor said earlier, this is not about the obvious world. This is about men and women who have supernatural faith. You have supernatural faith. You're not sinful soul any longer. The reality is there's a lot of Jonathan and potential for Ittai in each one of us in this room. So let's see how Ittai got it right. Let's all turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel 15. We're going to begin in verse 18. We're going to have it on the screen, but you know you need to have it in your lap and in your hands. Somebody say rising tension as you're turning. I'm going to give you a second. So that we can make sure that we're all there. Because you're going to want to engage with this passage as we are. 2 Samuel chapter 15, beginning in verse 18. And all his servants passed by him. All the Carathites and all the Pelathites and all the 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath passing on before the king. Okay, so the text says it clearly. These men are not Israelites. They're Carathites, they're Pelathites, they're Gittites. Can we just help you with some understanding of who these people are? They're all Philistines. They're enemies of God's people. They are definitely not of the tribe of Judah. They have left their home and land once already. They've abandoned where they came from, and they've joined King David to follow him despite the fact that they came from hostile origins of a different ethnicity and have no political allegiance outside of their relationship to David. Okay, so they're in Jerusalem with David. He's the king, but they don't belong to Israel. They're not voting Democrat or Republican. They have have no voting rights. Oh, my gosh. So as Absalom is coming to have a coup to overthrow his father, David, David is now leaving Jerusalem. And who's with him? The ones who don't belong there anyway. (laughs) They already turned their back on the Philistine people. They already saw something in David and said, we're going to follow you. And David, you're leaving the city. Well, we're not going to stay here. We're foreigners. We don't belong. We're going to go ahead and go wherever you are. There's no indication that any of these people, not one of them, were converts to Judaism. No proselytes among them. In fact, they're called all uh, the 600 Gittites. They're still identified by where they came from. How many people in this room, and I'm I'm, I'm actually excited because I like this. How many people were not born in the continental U.S. here in this room? 
That makes me so happy. Look at all the hands in this room that were not born in the U.S. Come on now. This is awesome. This is kind of like what it is. They had to turn their back on their own homeland, their own people, their own political affiliations, and they came and joined David. Do you think that uh, after spending so much time with David, fighting David's battles, killing other Philistines who wanted to kill David, that they exactly had a welcome back home? That should be reassuring to a few of you in the room. I'm going to go ahead and give you a hint about what is to come. A key to his success is he recognized he didn't belong in the kingdom of God, but was grateful that he was able to participate. See, nobody in this room belongs to the promises. Every one of us were grafted in because we clung to the son of David. Now, while there's no indication that these men became Jews, as in they got circumcised, started growing out the side of their hair, keeping kosher, there is evidence in their lives and their actions that they have faith in the God of Israel and the king that he has chosen. So as we read these next couple verses, many of you heard them before. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Ittai as a Gentile in this room who has clung to the son of David and interact with what is said to him. Verse 19, then the king said to Ittai, the Gittite, why do you also go with us? Start with, why does that question have to be asked? He already left his homeland. Go back and stay with the king. For you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday. And shall I today make you wander about with us? Since I go, I know not where. Go back and take your brothers with you. And may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. So while that's sitting on you, remember, you, Ittai, you Goim, have already sacrificed much to follow the king. And he says to you, you're a foreigner. You don't belong here. You've already been exiled once. Let's not do it again. Oh, and my favorite part in verse 20, this will affect your brothers if you do this. Hey, can we help you to get this? Can we help you to understand this? Ubong, stand up. Ubong Okan. This is like, okay, we're going to pretend like Ubong is Ittai right now. Okay? He is Ittai, as a matter of fact. Hey, Ubong. You've only been here since October. It's like you came yesterday. Can you feel the tension that's already starting to build as David just begins to point these things out? Bong wants to go on a mission trip with us. He wants to stand with us in a difficult situation. Man, you only came here yesterday. You don't belong, Ubong. Hey, Ubong, you've already been exiled, exiled from your own home. I mean, we were talking today about conversations with your mommy and your daddy. You've been exiled from your home and your land once. You don't belong here. Church, can you feel that tension for just a second? Ubong's feeling it. I'm feeling it, saying it to him to give you an example. There's a mounting tension that's there. Hey, you are bringing brothers into the line of fire. If you do this, 
The people that you live with, they could be harmed by this. If you stay with us, you can bring difficulty to the people around you. Ubang, it's not as if your own decision is affecting only you. Your choices affect everyone who is attached to you, and you don't belong here, Ubang. So we have an answer for you, Ubang. Why don't you just go back home? Why don't you go back where you came from, take your Nigerian nightmare self, and move on? Gittite. Ubang the Gittite. Can you feel this tension, church? This is a king speaking to a foreigner in his midst and saying, go home. Go away. Get out of here. And using these as the examples. Ubong, Itai, stand up there for just a few more minutes where everybody gets to think about the things we just said to you. The tension has risen to its all-time high in this moment. After going through so much to be with David, so much to come to LCM, can you feel the insulting, offensive aspect of what is being said to Ubong or Itai? The truth is, the most difficult moment in Itai Orubong's life, well, it's this moment. Later on, you're going to see him fight battles and other things he was crafted by God to do as a warrior. I guarantee you that for Ubong or for Itai, fighting against the enemy, well, that's the furthest cry from difficult, especially when there are clear lines and he can tell who the enemy is. Ubong and Itai were made for war. That was their purpose. Ittai has been fighting all the way up to this point to see David made king. He's not afraid of battle. No, instead, the most difficult moment he had to face was his own internal pressure and feeling of disqualification. He has to hear this from the king of Israel and decide if he will stand up internally and externally anyway. Like I mentioned earlier, 2 Samuel 18 describes his warfare. Often, men think of this as the greatest test for someone like Hittai. But the reality is that being one of the three commanders of Israel's army was not the test. Instead, it was the release of the bow. Ubong is made to be a commander of God's people. The day that he's ordained and launched into battle will not be the test. The test is every day that the bow is drawing back further from that calling. He feels disqualified, and it looks like the only guy he's ever loved has disqualified him. But Ubong and Entai are going to stand up anyway. The very point where maximum tension was built in the story. Well, this tension had its purpose. And Entai became what he was always really meant to be. But he would never have gotten there if he didn't stand up under the tension in this wretched, difficult, agonizing moment. This is actually what proved he could be trusted not only to command Philistines but to be the commander of Israel's armies. Church, that insight is something that I can feel settling in in your hearts. The most tense 
moments of Ittai's life were not when he was a general. That was actually the release of the bow. The tension is in this moment here that's what caused him to be the Ittai that we all know and love. Your difficult moments are not yet ahead of you when you're actually released into something that you want to be released into. It's not that moment. It's these moments that you're in now. When the tension is rising and you are standing up under the tension now so that you become ready for the service of our great king. See, the reality is that as personally insulting as this could feel to any one of us. You didn't support me. You didn't encourage me enough. David is saying, go away. What kind of encouragement do you need, Christian? Speaking of our brother studying C.T. Stud, are you really just a chocolate soldier? Do you need that much encouragement? Or can you feel the tension and rise and stand up underneath it? This is what makes you into what you're supposed to be. It, I'm sure it felt incredibly insulting to Ittai. But King David, like King Jesus, is not discouraging Ittai. King David, like King Jesus, is freeing him to choose what kind of life he wants to live. You want to get out? Now's the time. Ittai chose to live a life that stands up under the horrible tension of having a king who is greater than you can imagine. A call that's bigger than you can accomplish. And constantly paying a cost that's higher than you thought you could ever pay. But Ittai chose it because he knows that his king was worth it, church. This is what it's like to stand up under the rising tension. We're going to keep moving. But in your own time, you really should meditate on Ittai's thoughts about the king being worth it. The reality is how worth it is to you defines how you will respond to the tension. Whether you be Jonathan who goes back home, even if it's going back to your house after a service in the way life has always been. Or if he is worth it to you to stand up under the tension of what you currently do not have, but are trusting he will give you. See, Ittai had a threefold response to the mounting tension. Verse 21 says, but Ittai answered the king. As the Lord lives and as my Lord the King lives, wherever my Lord the King shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. Once again, Ittai is required to leave everything. It's not the first time. This time it's not his homeland, but instead it is his own personal and internal assessment of himself and his worthiness to continue with the King. He responds to the threefold reasons he should turn back and give up to go back home like Jonathan did by giving a threefold answer as to why he will not go back. Number one, as the Lord lives, the God whom I have come to serve through you, David, lives. He has not died. The king lives. The God whom I serve because of you lives, and you live, David. You're not dead yet. Third, 
wherever the king is. I am. That is my place. That is where my feet will be. Whether it means life or death for me, as long as Adonai is living and he is the living God, as long as you draw breath, king, my place is where you are and I will put my feet there, not just my words. Are you beginning to see the difference between Ittai and Jonathan? Are you beginning to understand why this has been piercing our own souls? Because I love Jonathan. I have preached messages again and again and again about his admirable qualities. But when it came down to in his believing faith, the next step of righteousness that tore him away from what was comfortable, he found a reason to go back home. Consider the fact that Jonathan wasn't discouraged from going with David even once. But Ittai was discouraged by David three times in a row. And out of the depths of his soul, the God whom he had learned to trust in caused him to cry out, The Lord lives! And you live, my king, so I go where you tell me to go. Look at verse 22 and let's see the response of David to Ittai's threefold answer. And David said to Ittai, go then, pass on. So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with him. See, where Jonathan failed to put feet to his faith in the moment of tension, Ittai passed on. He went on. He went on up to where the king was and brought all of his men, all of his brothers, and brought all the little ones along with him. See, while Jonathan was young, a prince in relation with David, and had many things right since he was a boy, he lacked one thing. He was unwilling to stand up under the internal tension of walking away from everything. Passing on from the reasons that he felt disqualified and actually putting his feet where the Davidic son was. You should remember that we started in Psalm 78 this morning, which was written by Asaph, a prophetic Levite appointed by David during his reign, which again is a prototype of the kingdom to come. Asaph had a very peculiar comment to make about a faulty bow, a deceitful bow that had many things correct, but lacked one singular thing. We have a slide for you. Psalm 78 verse 9 says this, the Ephraimites armed with bow. You need to know that the Ephraimites are well known as warriors. They're one of the most imposing tribes that exist in Israel. They are the capable men. And they're armed with the bow, but they turned back on the day of battle. We don't have time to visit Proverbs 24, but if the day of distress is when your strength fails, you have no strength at all. But this prophetic Levite goes on to say why they did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. You could take that to be a general reference to the law, and it's possible that it is, or it might have to do with the exact passage that Asaph quoted in verses 1 through 7, he quoted Deuteronomy 4 about the need to guard your own soul diligently. The way that this must pass to your children's children so that they will know how to teach it. 
Asaph is now telling us that Ephraim's bow failed. They turned back on the day of battle because they did not keep that covenant and that law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. Take a look at verse 19 there on the screen. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread or set a table in the wilderness? The prophetic utterances of Asaph here is saying exactly what God has been saying to this church. And the question that is there, that internal tension that starts to rise up, can God actually set a table for us as we begin to set out? He's already teaching us how to set a table in his presence in our own home. But will he do it out in the wilderness instead of my own home? Will he do it for us as we set out into exactly what God has for us? The answer is yes, he will. And we are teaching you today. We are instructing you today and moving you today because these are parts of the rising tensions that are there, and you can see it chronicled by Asaph. Let's take a look at verse 57 together. But turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow. Deceit is when something looks pretty, when something sounds correct, but then you find out you were deceived and it was wrong all the way along. This is an accurate translation of this verse. But I want you to understand on a more literal level what it means. See Jeremiah 48.10? Cursed is he who does the work of the Lord with slackness. It's the same word. The concept is that a bow that has been given, that is real, that is made for war, much like the revelation we've all just received, is deceitful when it cannot stand the full tension to be fired. Because it looks like it's ready for combat. It looks like it'll knock down giants, man. But the whole thing is useless if it can't bend far enough back and stand the tension on the line. Church, I want to tell you, we, as a collective body, will not be a deceitful bow. There is rising tension in this room, and it's a good thing. Our God is raising the tension because he will not let us fail. He will not let us be slack. He will fire this body. You heard Israel had received the same word in Deuteronomy 4 that we did. You heard Israel had the same word about God's ability to set a table out in the desert in any circumstance. You heard Israel had set out on a journey in relationship with the king. The deceitful, devilish adversary that the prophetic Levite Asaph is writing about. He's warning us. is the circumstance where you have a perfect bow that lacks one thing. The ability to stand under the tension until the arrow is released. Now, lest you think that uh, we're being unfair by saying that Jonathan lacked one thing, and that was the ability to stand up under tension. Maybe you think we're being unfair to Jonathan because your life looks like that. We're going to revisit 1 Chronicles 12 with you so that you can see what was possible for Jonathan 
as he stood up internally and externally to be with the king in his moment of personal tension. First Chronicles 12 and verse 1. Say rising tension as you turn. Good job, Jehu. Now these are the men who came to David at Ziklag while he could not move about freely because of Saul, the son of Kish. By the way, Ziklag is in Philistine territory, same area we've been talking about all morning. We're talking about, and they were, uh, because of Saul, the son of Kish. Remember that that's Jonathan's father. The one that he keeps going back to. Again and again. The one that's keeping David from being able to move around. And they were among the mighty men who helped him in war. See, these are the mighty warriors that fought alongside of David. Verse 2. They were bowmen and could shoot arrows and sling stones with either the right or the left hand. They were Benjamite, Benjamites, Saul's kinsmen. See, Jonathan donated his words. He donated his weapons. He even donated his wealth. But the one thing he lacked was standing up under the tension that leaving everything required. Jonathan came close many, many times to doing exactly what was right. But he failed to ever join David, to join the army of God, to join the Davidic or the kingdom of God on earth because of his attachments. See, these kinsmen of Saul, you do realize that makes them kinsmen of Jonathan, right? His uncles, his brothers, his cousins. These men have such a small mention in scripture because they are truly a small number of those who are called to be with the king. See, these men's notable deeds were not the donation of finances. They were not the donation of weapons or fine sounding words, but instead they stood up under the tension of leaving everything behind to put their feet where David was. Have you really interacted with 1 Chronicles 12 in this way? We're talking about Jonathan's relatives. So whatever noble reason you personally justified him going back to Saul with, because you do the same thing, he has other men who are equally related to Saul, who should be the most loyal to the house of Kish. They're the same family and they live in the same tribal region. So Jonathan had to watch his kinsmen walking away from him and Saul to go join David, which he knew he should do. He even promised to become a copy of him. But he never did. There's an astounding truth when we interact with this passage. It is possible for us to sit in a room while we have relationship with David, while we've promised to become a copy of David, and you watch your brothers on your left and right get up and walk to the king. But you settle for continuing to interact and go back to the way your life has always been at home when you leave this place. Say, we're in the same area. We are the same house. We are family. But not every member of the family actually made it into the kingdom to come. Some died with Saul and some stood with David. Although we know very little about these men, these kinsmen of Jonathan, they did get this right. This ought to inspire hope in every one of us. Whether you're a son of Saul or you're a son of a Philistine, the son of David couldn't care less. Son of David couldn't care less where you came from. He only cares if you're willing to be taught 
the one thing you lack again and again. See, the reality is that each of us have at least one thing that we lack. But if like Ittai, we can stand up under the tension in the critical moment and say, I'm with you, teach me, I am not going back home. I don't care what it costs. Well, then you will stand up under any tension God provides and your life will be spent firing arrows. We want to show you a slide that summarizes much of what has been moving us in regard to the life of Ittai and David. The slide says Ittai was taught. It's summarizing most of 1 Samuel 30 all the way into 2 Samuel chapter 2. Ittai was taught by David even in bitterness of soul to find strength in the Lord. This is when the Amalekites took David's family and Ittai's family. And the men were talking of stoning him. But he found strength in the Lord. Number two, Ittai was taught by David to seek the Lord before going to war, even when he had personally motivating reasons to go. After his family was taken captive, David doesn't rush off. He asked the Lord what he should do. You know who was standing there to see that? Number three, Ittai was taught by David that when he had made a promise, he must be trustworthy to keep it. Unlike Jonathan. Number four, Ittai was taught by David to fight for the equal share of his men and not to show partiality, but instead to care for the weak. This is the same story. A large portion of their men do not want to share with those who were tired and didn't make the battle. And David refuses and says, each will have their share. And he makes it an ordinance in Israel for ages to come. Do you think that had an effect on Ittai? Are you beginning to understand why this Philistine would want to leave his land to go serve a commander like that? He was taught by him. Ittai was taught by David to give generously to his friends out of what he received. After this great battle, after all of this difficulty, David turns and sends gifts to the elders of Judah. Number six, Ittai was taught by David to value faithfulness to what the Lord had consecrated and to hate disloyalty. You find out if you read about David's life enough, disloyalty or even attacking someone who's in sin but is anointed by God, well, he'll kill the man who attacked Saul. How much more do you think Ittai would refuse to turn from David who is righteous when he was taught this kind of loyalty? Ittai was taught by David to take his brothers with him wherever he went, just as he did his family. 2 Samuel 2 lists David's wives, David's children, his immediate family that go up from Gath to Hebron with him. And in the same flow, it lists his men because his men were his family. Is it any wonder then that you see Ittai when he's marching with the king, he doesn't do it by himself. He brings all of his men with him. Ittai was taught by David. And our message is titled, Rising Tensions Today. Church, can you feel the tension? Can you feel the tension between Ittai and Jonathan? Can I lighten the mood a little bit? Pastor Wade and I 
Certainly AF, we can feel the tension. To each of our up-and-coming preachers, we want you to know something this morning. Are you listening to me? It is strictly not advisable to introduce a new homiletic in the middle of a message. But we were inspired by the creativity of Midnight and Nitro the other day, and we will not GF. We, of course, mean give in to fear. We have one last homiletic device that is intended to be utilized for your memory's sake. For those of you who are still learning the native language of your birthplace, as in the USA. We're talking to you Americans. That's who we're talking to. It's a wonderful thing in a room filled with different nationalities that speak English better than those of us who were born here. Our homiletic device is referred to as a homophone, and Pastor Wade is going to walk you through this next slide. Homophone, two words that sound exactly the same but have different meanings. Itai was taught to be taught. So it, Itai was taught, as in he learned from David, to find strength in the Lord, to seek the Lord, to be trustworthy, keeping his oaths, to show no partiality, but instead to care for the weak, to give generously, to value faithfulness, to hate disloyalty, and to take his brother with him wherever he went, just as he did his family. Somebody say, that's really good. Itai was taught by David. And this entire process prepared Ittai to be taught, to be put under full tension in his greatest moment of difficulty, but it also was his greatest moment of triumph. It's what we know about Ittai. It's what we run to. It's what we look to because we watched a man who was taught, learned what he needed to, to be able to put under full tension and become taught. See, as tense as moments of this message and your honest interactions with the life of Jonathan should be. We actually have great confidence in you today, church. You have been taught to be taught. The truth is, tensions are rising in this room every week and throughout the world as we are preparing to launch arrows. Itai was taught to be taught, so he stood internally and externally in the moment. He had every reason to turn around and go home. But this is what launched him into his purpose as a general of Israel's army. See, you've been taught, well instructed, and you're being trained to be taught in the moment of rising tension. My God, if we can get this, you have been taught to be taught and stand up under that tension. This body, your brother's. And this world do not need your words, they do not need your wealth, and they surely don't need your weapons. They need you to be standing where God told you to stand and never waver because he's with you. We're relying on the fact that you've heard multiple sermons and even prophecies in recent days. That you're already wrestling before a holy God. Wrestling before a holy God on these subjects will reveal that each one of us lack one or more things. Saints, we want to be a tie in this house in the kinsmen of Jonathan who got this right. But the truth is, each of us have been blessed like Jonathan. 
And there's a part of us that wants to stay associated with David without having to pay the full cost that David pays. In our closing passages, we want to help you turn on the Jonathan that is inside of you. Because as much as I may talk about two different men or different men in one body, the reality is Ittai and Jonathan live in us all. You've set your whole life on serving the king. You are in relationship with him. But we're faced with the same choice that Jonathan and Ittai had to make to stand under the rising tension and lay it all on the line for the king again. Or let someone else do it while you go back home to daddy. See, this point of unwillingness that Jonathan found himself in, it was sin. And it found him out. And his last testimony is that he is buried with his true allegiance in life. Not the rightful king, not the one that God had chosen, but the sinful Saul that God said was condemned and should no longer be king. As you're interacting with this and you're thinking about where your true allegiance lies in these difficult moments, we're going to help you with how to respond in Luke 18, 22 through 23. Follow along on the screen for us. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. You guys catching that part? Do I need to talk about what we lack again? Yes or no? Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. If you heard in the story that from Saul, uh, there needs to be separation with your lost family or lukewarm friendships with people who claim to serve the Lord but don't really, well, we're happy that you're at the beginning stages of being taught, as in teaching but you're nowhere near being taught in the full tension we want you to be in. The one thing that we lack shows up in many areas. That our unwillingness to let go of and stand up in an area that Christ has called you to serve in. But the truth is this rich young ruler could have gotten it all right in this very moment. If instead of going away sad, he turned and cried for help. Do you understand that the life of Jonathan and the life of the rich young ruler hinged on their last moments with David or the son of David? And it had everything to do with how they interacted. See, the rich young ruler, so much like Cain, presented with a righteous standard, realizing that he lacked something, that there's still sin present. But both Cain and the rich young ruler went away downcast or very sad. The righteous response. Those who want to be like Ittai in this house when you recognize you don't have what you need and there are areas you have failed. Well, it's to respond three times over in your commitment to the King of Kings. That may be true. I do lack that one thing. But my Lord lives. I may lack that one thing, but my King lives. I may lack that one thing, but I will stand, whether in life or death, wherever my Lord, the King of Kings, is. Because he's the one who delivered me originally, and he'll deliver me through this peril, too. Saints, we're clearly at the balance of our time. Despite that fact, 
We have a prophetic charge for you and a prophetic encouragement for you that you will need in your days of rising tension ahead. And it begins in none other than the book of Acts. Acts chapter 26 and verse 16. It says, but rise, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Church, these words were spoken to the Apostle Paul, and we are speaking them to you in light of God's mandate for us to look and to begin to work on the Balkan bow as we begin in our studies in the book of Acts. Rise and stand on your feet, church. Rise and stand on your feet, church. Adonai has appeared to you for a purpose. You have been appointed as a servant and a witness to the things you currently have seen and for those things that will, in fact, be made known to you. See, our coming meeting together is going to make your service appointment and your role as a witness increasingly clear. But every bit of the firing of the arrow, the purpose for which your life was destined, hinges on finding the supernatural power in Christ to stand up under the rising tension. So if in your relationships with one another, you're recognizing there's one thing that lacks. If you've continued in an infantile manner to hold relationships with family who are like Saul. If in an infantile manner, you've continued to have unhealthy relationships with friends who are like Saul. Let's put that to death here and now. If like Ittai, you've come as far as you know how to come to follow the king of kings, but you're being faced with the fact of your own inadequacy that you don't belong here, that you're a foreigner, that everything you've ever tried has left you exiled and in failure. And we say now is the time to take our stand and say that the Lord lives, the king lives, and just like the Apostle Paul, I will stand in the purpose, appointment, and witness I was called for. Because he is able to do it in me. See, Paul was a wretched man. He wasn't Jonathan. He's actually the exact opposite of Jonathan. Everything that he had been doing interaction with the son of David and his people had been wreaking death and destruction. He lacked way more than one thing. But when he chose to do one thing that the king told him to do, stand up on your feet, operate in the purpose I've given you, and be a witness to my name of what you've seen and what I will yet show you down the road. Well, then his whole life turned around. The one thing that I do not want to be in this life is Jonathan or the rich young ruler who got so much of it right, spent so many years in proximity to the king, but failed at the one thing. I'd rather go out swinging, making mistakes, but doing the one thing that appoints us to the purposes of God. That was your charge. Our encouragement to you as we enter into worship is Jude verses 24 through 25. To him who is able to keep you from falling. To keep you from falling implies that you're not laying down on the ground. 
You can't keep a man from falling unless he is standing already. If you will take your stand on the ancient enemies in your households, the ancient enemies in your own Nabal characteristics, the ancient enemies in your feeling of an inability to do what God has called you to do in this body and the nations beyond, he will keep you from falling. We serve a God who is able to empower men and to present them as glorious in his presence without fault and with great joy. We do not serve a God who will hunt you down and get you to stand up. We do not serve a God who will go where you're hiding with Saul and say, you must come back to me, please. No, we serve a great king who stands on the high ground and says, if you will walk towards me, I will help you do what you can't do on your own. So whether you're a guest in this house or you've been here for 20 years, if God is calling you to higher ground today, he will help you if you will take your stand. But if you go away and go home to sinful Saul, if you hear this message and you're quiet and think your relationship with David is enough, well, then you have no certainty that you'll stand. You'll actually fall dead alongside Saul at the end of your life. The verse goes on to say in 25, to the only God, our Savior, be glory. That's really what Ittai recognized in David, that he was the only appearance of salvation through the Lord Almighty. Be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Church, the call today is to stand up under the rising tension. Paul, who was of the tribe of another brother who got that right, who is teaching us to stand. One of the things I love about Jude is that it says to present you before his glorious presence. He can keep you from falling and he presents you without fault and with great joy. Church, it's time for us to stand. This time at the altar today is not gonna be for you to come and fall on your face. It's gonna be for us to say, Lord, help me to stand in the one thing that I lack, in the one thing, help me to stand, God, under these rising tensions. Let's cry out to the Lord, mighty God, we stand before you now. Help us to stand in the one thing where we lack, in the areas where we do not. We say, help us, mighty God. We will stand because of your power.